Would you all just pray with me again, please? Let's, we cannot have too much prayer, I think. Father, um, we open ourselves up to you. We open ourselves up to your spirit today. We open ourselves up to your word today. And we ask for your presence. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your empowerment. Uh, Lord, there is a lot going on. Uh, Father, there, there, is a lot of, there is a lot of rejoicing and there is a lot of difficulty. There is a lot of things, even just today, um, people that I love that I care about, that are undergoing immense amounts of stress and immense amounts of, of, uh, of grief or sorrow or pain who need you. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just fall fresh on us. It would be a refreshing thing, that we can rest in you, that we will hear your call today to come to you and find our rest. Lord, I pray as we open up your word, I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching today, Lord, that the things that I say um, will be your words, not mine, Um, that they will be things that matter, um, that they will be a word of encouragement and a word of challenge and a word that helps transform. And I pray for for our ears and our hearts as we receive your word today. Help us to hear you speaking. Help us to hear you speaking directly to us in a way that we can understand and in a way that we can accept and in a way that we can um, follow in and live in. In your name, amen. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the, uh, among other things this week, um, uh, the passing of Billy Graham uh, this week, 99 years old. Um, And almost all of that life being spent in the vocation of ministry. Um, and there, there were many things that I could kind of reflect on regarding him, um, what made his life significant, um, the models of being a minister that I have either knowingly or unknowingly accepted and incorporated into my life from uh, his teaching and his example, um, and especially kind of, I guess, the implications for evangelical Christianity. Um, it kind of seems like that for... Um, icons of evangelical preachers, Billy Graham was kind of the last Jedi a little bit. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess there's just, there's not really anyone to look to that carries on this mantle of being Western Christianity's pastor the way that he did in terms of things like integrity and lack of ego and, and just a consistent passion for Jesus and for people. Um, and I, I will admit, I, when I heard the news, I kind of had my own personal memorial service. Um, when I was in high school, I listened to a group, uh, a Christian group called the Swirling Eddies. And the lead singer is named Eddie, so that will kind of give you an idea of the type of Christian music that they had um, with such great titles as like Hide the Beer, The Pastors Here, which were just, that's just <laughs> great songs, very formative in my education, um, and yeah, but they had a song that was titled Billy Graham, and it's a great song, okay, and, and, and I, I fired it back up on Friday, um, and the lyrics were kind of like a eulogy, and they went like this, I don't know about those other guys, it seems like there's something in the back of their eyes, but Billy, you're the man who don't use sleight of hand, you aren't wearing a disguise, I love the simple things that you say, and you never seem to let yourself get in the way. 
Um, no one is quite like you, compassionate and true. Just as I am, you say. I love you, Billy. It was a great song, okay? And it's that just as I am piece that kind of really sticks with me. Uh, Mark Langley also sent me a message from Breakpoint Ministries, which was started by a man named Chuck Colson. And if you don't know Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson was actually a political officer underneath uh, Richard Nixon and was uh, caught up in all of the implications of Watergate, imprisoned uh, as a result, and in prison met and was converted by Billy Graham and ended up starting this very, very significant Christian ministry, completely changed the trajectory of his life. Um, changed, you know, he had this, he, he has this ministry or had this ministry, he's actually passed on now, but they were, Breakpoint was reflecting on some reflections of Chuck Colson on Billy Graham. And he said he has this one image of, of him, of Billy Graham, one that defined him better than anything and, and changed Colson's view about him and Jesus almost entirely. And it was seeing this pastor who was, a, you know, at the time he was at the height of his popularity, probably celebrity pastor to millions of people around the world. But he was sitting cross-legged on a cement floor of a prison cell behind bars sharing the gospel with the occupant of the cell. And there weren't any, I mean, it was just in passing, right? Like he was just walking down and just realized, oh my gosh, that's Billy Graham. And he's sitting on the floor of the cell just talking to this guy. There's no cameras. There's no reporters. There's nobody to see. And to realize that, that, that he was just as comfortable and just as passionate and just as, as, just as welcoming in that cell as he would have been anywhere else. And, and Colson said that, that completely made me rethink about Jesus because there was no crowd, there was no glory, there was no self-interest. It was just one person making room for another and giving them good news. And, and I think that's what really turned the 16-year-old son of a dairy farmer into, you know, the title that everybody gave him, America's Pastor. It was the thing that, that would have made him, you know, if, the, if you know the Gallup polls who say, you know, who do you most admire in America? Um, they, they put that out every single year. He was in the top 10 of that every year from the time that they started all the way through. Not that he, it, it was this just as I am notion that really carried the day. Wasn't just his favorite song. Um, it was the one that he had on countless crusades to invite people to know Jesus and surrender their lives to him was just as I am. But it was an anthem for his life, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. That's how he lived. And that's the invitation that he repeated because honestly, that's how we all have to come to Jesus, right? Right? the way we are. We know it. We come inadequate. We come burdened. And Jesus takes us in the way that we are. And he sees who we're going to be. And somehow he's able to grow that one thing into the other thing. That's one of the things I love the most about following Jesus. Is that somehow he sees who I am and he sees who I'm going to be and he goes, I... I can work with that. I can, I can get you from here to there. 
Um, you may not be able to see how I can get you from here to there, but trust me, I can get you from here to there. And I say all this because I think we need to be reminded of that invitation that we have received from Jesus. I, I forget, I'll be honest, I forget that invitation a lot of times. The way that we have come to him, the way that we are still having to come to him, because it is in the knowing and keeping that just as I am in the front of our minds and our hearts and our mouths and our hands. That's not just the way that I live out the Christian walk. It's also the way that I actually have an invitation that's worth giving to somebody else. Next week is going to be, we're going to be, we're already only a month out from Easter Sunday next week. Can you believe that? It's coming fast. Okay. And, and so we're, we're going to be starting to walk a path next week of the re- walking toward the resurrection of Jesus in a way that you might not have gone before through hearing kind of the echoes of Easter in the Old Testament. We're actually going to be working completely out of the Old Testament up and through into Easter Sunday. We're going to be using the scriptures that, that the people who would have said, who is this person? when they were looking at Jesus, or what does it mean that he is Messiah, or what is God doing in him? We're going to be using those scriptures to kind of pave a path toward Easter Sunday and toward the resurrection. And so today, I guess, is kind of a review, I guess. That, that's a good way to put it. Kind of a, a finishing up on this idea of hospitality and, and this making room for people in the name of Jesus. And I just wanted to reiterate some things for us Reiterating the heart of what we've heard and what we are hearing from God's word and spirit. And I think that, that at the center of all of it, at the center of all this idea of, 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 of being able to welcome someone in the name of Jesus, of being able to, to show hospitality to someone else, and, and of realizing that it is when we extend that welcome to others, we're actually meeting Jesus. The heart of it all is that just as I am thing. We come as we are, we receive people as they are. And we believe that in the middle of that, God is at work in a very, very powerful way. And I also want to encourage you, because I know that some of the things that we're talking about have been challenging over the last few weeks. Not, not necessarily because they're complex or hard to understand, but because they're hard to put into practice. Let's be honest. It is hard to widen the circle of our affections. It is hard to start seeing people that we don't normally see. It's hard to stop for people when we feel like we're going so fast. It is hard to approach people and lean into them when our natural inclination is to say, I've, I've got so much mess on my own plate, I, how could I speak into yours? And... And so when we hear about this idea of making room for others in Jesus' name, you know, it's not just a nice idea. It's not something we ought to do. It's an integral part of our identity as disciples. It's a command. Okay, yes, it's something that Jesus asks us to do, but it's something he also calls us to do. And I know as soon as I say that, we will inwardly flinch just a little. Okay, you're doing a very good job of not outwardly showing it, and I appreciate that. You know, but I am human. I know what's going on in your brain right now. Okay, at least a little. 
David says, no, no. David says, if you, could, if you got into my mind, you would pay money to get out. Okay. Um, you and me both, brother. Maybe we're more alike than you think. Okay. We flinch because this is not an optional thing. It's not something for a certain type of person with a particular spiritual gift set or a particular personality type or life stage or background to do. It's a general rule of life for someone who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus. As you go, make disciples. And the only way you make disciples is by making room for people to come into your life that they can see Jesus and be made disciples. And we say, how? I mean, that's easy for you to say. You're the preacher. You do this stuff for a living, Travis. Okay, that's fair. And then you start using words in your sermons like costly and radical and messy and how Jesus is calling for us to sacrifice for each other. And it makes me want to slip out the back door mentally, if not even physically. Fair. Fair. Because I'm thinking, how do I make room for that? I'm not sure I have any more room to give. If this is Jesus talking to me about this through you, Travis, deep down, I want to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you are making me tired right now. Okay? Honestly. I don't have what it takes to do this. And do you know what I would love to tell you in response this morning to that? You're right. You can't. You don't have what it takes to do this. See, if, if, if what I'm talking about and what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is Jesus just piling something else up on your plate to add into all of those other things that you're supposed to be doing in order to be a good Christian, um, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, you don't have room. I don't have room. We don't have room. I get that. If I were to ask 100 of you what it is that keeps you from investing more in your relationship with others, I am almost certain that we would go 100 for 100 with the answer being some form of scarcity in your life. Scarcity of time, scarcity of energy, scarcity of drive, scarcity of confidence. By and large, we are dominated by some feeling of scarcity in our lives. Listen to this. This is an excerpt from a book by a lady named Brene Brown. If you haven't, if you don't know who she is, um, fantastic author um, on working with just the dynamics of honor and shame. Um, and this this is from her book, Daring Greatly. Tell me if this doesn't sound a little bit familiar to you. Okay. For me and for many of us, our first waking thought is, "I didn't get enough sleep," and the next one is. I don't have enough time. And whether that's even true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us so automatically before we can even think to question or examine it, before we even sit up in bed, before our feet even touch the floor, we're already inadequate. We are already behind. We are already losing. We are already lacking something. 
And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or what we didn't get done that day. And we go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and we wake up to that reverie of lack. It seems pretty hard to me to call someone to any sort of hospitality, any sort of widening, any sort of making more room or making more space, let alone using adjectives like radical or messy when we're surrounded by this reverie of lack. And the easy answer is that we need to slow down. But hey, you've heard that one before. You haven't just heard it from me. You've probably heard it your whole life, right? But you're still racing. I'm still racing. We're still racing. I've got people that I know that aren't here today. For a number of reasons. And it could be because of like burden of life and trying to manage schedule and trying to manage time. Could be because they're mentally exhausted. Could be because they're physically exhausted. But there's people I love that are here, that that are not here, that are saying it's because I don't have time. I can't make room anymore. I can't slow down. I don't know how to slow down anymore. And I don't want to suggest that that isn't a huge problem, the speed that we move at individually, the speed that we move out as society is not incredibly out of balance not just with God, but, but what we know of psychology and history and sociology and, and numerous other ologies that are out there. Okay, like we know that we're out of balance. We know that. But the big pro- that's a big problem and it's not going to be going away anytime soon. I can tell you to find rest. I can offer things. We can offer things like workshops to help you re-examine your foundation. We can offer things like retreats coming up in a few weeks. And we say, it's a chance to just get away and rest. And you go, Travis, do you have any idea how much junk I'm going to be doing trying to carve out that time to go rest? And how much stuff is going to be waiting for me on the other time when I get done with said rest? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I get an idea of that. Big problems. They're not going away anytime soon. But here's the thing. I don't know that I can wait for society to get that all sorted out and get that big problem fixed before I can turn to a way of hospitality. I don't think I can wait for all that to sort out on a society level before I can figure out how to turn back into being someone who makes room for God's invitation in my life and makes room for others to be Jesus as I go be Jesus to them and meet them. And as I make room for them, I find out that I've made room for Jesus. I don't know that I've got time to wait for society to fix itself. See, the only way I think that we can do hospitality well, like Jesus, in the context we find ourselves, in this this narrative of scarcity, that denies that we actually have plenty in a lot of ways is to go back to the origin of Christian hospitality, 
to go back to the beginning. And the beginning is simply this. God made the move of inviting us into his fullness and into his adequacy first. Before I had anything else to offer, before I had any spiritual gifts, before I had anything to give, before I was worth any value to anyone for anything, before I had anything, before I could do anything, before anybody looked at me and said, you're valuable, before any of that, God invited me into his fullness, just as I am. Just the way that I am. I've talked about this passage in Matthew 11 before. It's a turning point in Matthew's gospel where you can see Jesus knows that that he sees things and understands things about the Father that those around him do not but even more that many of these people around him, the, the Pharisees and the priests and the lawyers and the law experts, not only do they not see what he sees about God, they don't want to see it. They're not going to see it. And opposition is mounting for Jesus and plans for his inevitable betrayal and destruction. Those are already being formed And the gap between being someone who hears Jesus and someone who actually disciples themselves to Jesus, that is becoming more and more pronounced by the time we get to Matthew chapter 11. And in this text, it's like all the action pauses around Jesus. If I was imagining this as a a play, okay? You have those times where time just stops around the main character and they get a chance to reflect, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The lights, the house lights go dim, the spotlight goes down on the character and they just get a chance to reflect. And it's almost like that's what happens with Jesus here. There's all this hearing and not hearing. There's all these accusations flying around. There's all this, you know, build up and everything's kind of starting to come to a head. And in a moment of clarity, the spotlight comes down on Jesus. And he gets a chance to just recite this beautiful, beautiful monologue that's part prayer and part invitation. I mean, the first part, he he praises God for the reality of his love and the reality of his relationship with Jesus and how even though those who think that they are wise are missing God's reality, those who will come to Jesus without any pretense, they will be able to know God's love the way that Jesus does. And it's this really, really beautiful prayer, right? And then something even more interesting happens. Because if there's ever a point in my life where I felt like Jesus was breaking off the printed page and coming into my space, 
It's right here. You know, where the actor breaks the fourth wall and looks out at the audience and goes, can I just talk with you for a second? And it's very, very disruptive. It's very strange, you know, like when it happens. But it's almost like that's exactly what Jesus does here. It's like he's had, he's had this little space where he's had a chance to talk a monologue and we're reading the story and we're going, wow, that's a great story. And then all of a sudden Jesus looks up from the story and out of his acting and goes, hey, you, do you like this? Do you want this? Because you can have it. You know you can. Are, are you tired? Are you burdened? Are you feeling inadequate today? You can come to me. You know that, right? Reader of the story. I'll bring you in. I'll take you the way you are. I love that. He says, what about you? Do you want to know that love? You're carrying a heavy burden of having to make meaning of your own life and create your own value in this reverie of lack that you live in. I would really like to invite you to trade that out for my purposes and my calling on your life, it will be a whole lot easier. It will be a whole lot lighter. You already need rest, and the last thing I want to do is wear you out. So take on my yoke and trust me. You'll see it's easy to wear and it's easy to bear. I don't want to make you tired. I want to give you life. It's a beautiful gospel. The heart of it, in fact. Jesus, with his life, has invited you into that rest. And with his blood, he has removed the obstacles of that purposeful, peaceful existence from your path. And with his resurrection, he has completely collapsed the distance between just as I am and the person that he's made me to be. He's brought those two things right alongside each other. That distance that I can't fathom, he's reduced. For all of us who have called him Lord, that's the reality that we live in. That is the gospel that you believed, I hope. If you haven't, I want to let you know that that is the true gospel. And that it's very much available for you to take on and grow to real life in. But I also want you to hear this simple definition of hospitality that lies within the prayer and the plea of Jesus. No one knows the Father except the Son. And the ones that the Son reveals the Father to. How does the Son reveal the Father to people around us now? He does it through you and I. Hospitality, even evangelism, is just simply owning and reflecting the miracle of just as I am to the people around you. That's what this is all about. This is what, this is what making room for people really is, is letting them see us as we are. And letting them see that in the middle of just as we are, Jesus is there. And we realize that 
with those people that we meet just in the, in the middle of them, just as they are. Jesus is there. <coughs> what Jesus is really calling us to in the hospitality idea is a renewal of our vision again. That the whole of our lives is just saying yes to that invitation and using the power of that invitation to invite those we, count, we encounter to Jesus as well. It's a completely different economic than we're used to. Instead of Jesus tiring you out by asking you to try to live up to his standards, he refreshes you with living in his invitation. And a good part of that refreshment is seeing others come to life when they see Jesus in us. And when we get to repeat Jesus' welcome to them. The author Brennan Manning described it as the joy that happens when one beggar tells another beggar where they can find bread together. We've talked about this different economy of the kingdom of heaven quite a bit, but I want to say it again because sometimes it's hard for us to believe. In a world that says the more that you give away, the less that you have left for you, Jesus offers hospitality as a response. He says, Come to me if you're weary, and I will give you a life of giving yourself away that has the opposite effect. As you give away more, I will fill you to overflowing with my Holy Spirit. You will never know lack as you give yourself away. It's very, very freeing for me. It's very, very freeing for us. We don't have to be romantically optimistic about it. We don't have to be cynics about it either. As disciples, we can be honest about our own frailties and our failures and our limitations and about the difficulties as well as the joys of making room for others. Because we know that Jesus is the one that is empowering our ability to welcome others in his name. It's not up to you. It's not something else he's piling on your plate. This is something that he invites you to do out of the refreshment of your soul. And because we know that he is the one who always has more than enough. And he is the one who always is able to give us fullness in spite of our scarcity. And even more importantly, and this truly I think is the heart of of the hospitality that we have to remember and believe is that when we're willing to make room for others, what we really find is Jesus himself. All that radical, messy, challenging stuff that we talk about, what I find again and again in God's amazing economy of the kingdom of heaven is that when I make room for others out of my lack, that willingness to do so, it leads me not to a desert it leads me to a place of streams in the desert where more room becomes available to me for life and hope and grace to flourish. When I successfully love difficult people, I am brought back to the Father who loves me in all of my difficulties. When I spend time talking about Jesus with those who don't know him, their wonder reignites the wonder in me again. Their questions fuel my curiosity. Their heart, 
that is fresh refreshes my heart again. And that's the way God intended it to be. To welcome someone in Jesus' name is to actually welcome Jesus. And when Jesus comes into the house of our lives and relationships, he comes to the house to bring life and joy and rest to everyone, both the guest and the host, right? We're going to sing a song that I was introduced to earlier this year. And, and it is one that has become a personal prayer for me as a minister. And so I really hope that you will, you will hear the words in this song. It is a prayer for both vision and action. It is a prayer to trust in my heart and to move forward in faith rather than being halted or backed up by fear. As we consider all that we have heard over the past few weeks about this idea of hospitality, about really opening ourselves up to each other, about really welcoming in the people that are around us into our lives in the name of Jesus. It may still be quite a challenge. I'm not going to lie. We are still going to have to work at it every single day. It doesn't just sort itself out. But we have a Savior who takes us just as we are. When we fall on his grace, he knows just what to do. And he gives us everything that we need to be him to the world. And so may this song and this prayer be your prayer. May you know that Jesus' invitation of rest and joy and life and power to love is just as real for you in the world today and tomorrow and forever. Amen.